You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Over the course of uh, the last six weeks, we've been talking about how there's no greater love, no greater love than the love with which God has for us and how his love transforms and enables us to love him and love others. Specifically speaking, so far we've learned that God's nature, his very essence, his makeup is love. It's who he is, and therefore he cannot do anything or act on anything apart from it. We learn that his love is faithful and that it never gives up on us. We learn that his love finds us and meets us where we are with grace and mercy. But we also learn that his love disciplines us because he desires to see us grow and thrive in righteousness and good works according to his perfect purpose. We also learn that his love comforts, protects, and strengthens us with a joy and peace beyond all understanding as we live for him. And we learned that his love has been fully revealed and made available to us at the cross where Jesus died for our sin. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 tells us, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, was revealed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's no greater love than this. And Jesus freely offers it to any who believe in him by faith. And I don't know about you, but for me, I know I've mentioned this before. I mention this all the time because it is. For me, it's profoundly wonderful and crazy. (laughs) Recently, recently, my wife and I celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary on Thursday. Thank you. It's been tough. Just tough for, I mean tough for Audrey is what I meant. Because there, there have been more than a few days, every day really actually, when, when, when I'm actually amazed that she chooses to love me. <laughs> because I'm a huge nerd and I can be kind of an idiot sometimes. I'm not perfect a lot. But yet she still loves me. That in and of itself is, to me, is just mind-blowing. So then trying to, to grasp or understand this idea that the God of the universe can and does love me, a sinner, that, that he loves us and died for us, that's, that's mind-blowing. That's incredible. And, and you know, as a church, I think we, we often sing or we, we, we throw around the phrase, God loves you, God loves us, God's love is enough, right? And, and, so, and in some context, or we, maybe because we hear it so often, let's be honest, that phrase can sometimes feel like just really basic or, or cheesy or lovey-dovey, right? But, but when, we, when we humbly unpack it, as we've been doing this summer, we, we discover that, that it's incredibly powerful, that it's profound, that it's sacrificial, that it's miraculous, and that it's way more than we deserve. It's everything. God loves us. And so it's no surprise then that, that in regards to that love, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. He writes in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, 
excuse me, he says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So his, his prayer here in this verse is that the Lord would lead the Thessalonians to continually experience and know this saving, steadfast, unconditional, and relentless love of God through Jesus. And of course, this is my prayer for all of you as well. This is what we've been talking about all summer, right? But bear with me here, because there's even more to this verse than just personally knowing God's love in our hearts. I say this because I think as believers, we do have a tendency to to accept God's love, but then hold on to it and keep it to ourselves. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. So let's read the verse again, but but I want to read it this time from a different translation because it opens it up a little bit more. Gives us a a different perspective. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 from the CEB, the, the Common English Bible version. It says, May the Lord lead your hearts to express God's love and Christ's endurance. May the Lord lead your hearts to express God's love and Christ's endurance. So, so if, we look at, if, if we looked at both of the verses together, linguistically, the two verses are very similar. But, but if we look really closely, the, the, the translations and therefore the, the, the meanings have a slightly different emphasis, don't they? If we take a look at the first translation of the verse again, its emphasis is about coming to and knowing God's love. But the second translation, though, has a different focus. It leans more toward emphasizing our actions, right? How we're meant to express, that is, reflect who God is in us. And, and so one translation is asking the Lord to direct our hearts to know the love of God, and the other one for us to express the love of God. And so we have to ask and say, you know, wait a minute, which, which is one translation wrong? And is the other one more right? If so, which one? And we could have theological discourse about that. And some, some, some of you might find that really fun and some of you might want to, yeah, leave. <laughs> but here's what I think. I think neither translations are wrong. In fact, I think they're both 100% correct. And we say, but Pastor Greg, how could that be? They're both correct simply because experiencing God's love and expressing God's love are actually one and the same. Or rather, they're two sides of the same coin, you could say. The point is you can't have one without the other. If you know God's love... If you know God's love, you will express that love. If you know God's love, you will express that love. And so while it's true that we are saved in Christ on an individual basis, what's also true is that we're not only saved for our own personal good. His love sanctifies us and transforms us in the power of his spirit so that we'll now have the desire and the supernatural capacity to love others. In the same way. Theologian D.A. Carson writes, Our speech, our thoughts, our actions, our reactions, our relationships, our goals, our values, are all, all are transformed 
If only we live in the self-conscious enjoyment of the love of Christ. More specifically then, if we're enjoying the love of Christ, we'll be transformed to love like him. So first of all, we'll reciprocate his love by loving him in return. That's, that's the only uh, initial response that we can have for, for his love in us is to love him in return with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all we are because he first loved us. And this, Jesus reminds us, is, is the first and greatest commandment which is what we learned about in the message from last week, if you were with us. Thank you, Randy, for preaching that. But the second commandment, which Jesus says is much like the first, is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And it's much like the first commandment because loving others is the way in which we tangibly demonstrate the love of God within us And in the same sense, it's one of the primary ways we're meant to grow and express our love to him. We love God by loving others. 1 John 4, 11 to 16, it says, Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. So this is how we remain in him and he remains in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. And if any of us confess that Jesus is God's son, God remains in us and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. So again, right off the bat, we're reminded here that to to love each other or to love our neighbor isn't a choice, isn't a request that we can say yes or no to. Rather, it's a statement of what our lives will look like if we truly know and abide in Jesus Christ. If Jesus lives in us, we will live for him and live like him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, for the love of Christ controls us. This is the Apostle Paul's testimony. He's saying the reason he does all the things he's doing is because the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, this this is not an optional outcome of salvation. This is the heart's cry of every Christian. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His love controls us. His love will compel us to love. As another theologian, Sam Storm, writes, God's love has showered us with salvation. We revel in the new life he has graciously granted. But life alone is not the ultimate aim of God's grace. Love is. 
God's love is made complete in us when we obey his word to love others as he has loved us. Which means the love of God is never the end of Christian experience. It is the beginning. Being loved by God launches us into service and proclamation and generosity. And so, so I guess if we're not loving others, if that's not our, our go-to desire to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, the two greatest commandments upon which all the law and the prophets hang, then we have to ask ourselves, why? What's going on? Well, 1 John 4, 7 to 8, and 19 to 20, it's pretty blunt about it when it says, Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. But the person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. And then in 19 to 20, it says, We love because God first loved us. But if anyone says, I love God, and then hates a brother or sister, he is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. Those are pretty heavy words, but I mean, if we're not loving others, can we actually say that we're living for God or that we're loving God? If instead, if, if we're just envious or, or bitter with one another or, or critical and, and impatient with one another or self-centered and, and refusing to be generous, or not willing to serve in, in, the, in the body of Christ and using our spiritual gifts to build others up and seek unity of the Spirit, that, then we honestly have to ask ourselves, maybe we haven't truly received or fully understood the grace and love of God in our own lives. Or maybe we're just presuming upon His grace and saying, well, I'm saved, now I can do whatever I want. But Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Jesus has saved us from sin. He's justified us in the sight of God, filled us with his spirit, freed us from our sinful nature, from our greed, our pride, our, and our selfishness, and has covered us in his righteousness, given us a new identity and, and gifts and, and passions. And these are not only for our own good, but they're for the benefit of those around us. He loved us so that satisfied and secured in his love, we can in turn go and selflessly love others. 1 John 4.21, this commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. And we won't always be perfect in this, obviously. 
because we're being perfected. We're not perfect. So we won't always be perfect in this, but if we've truly been set free in Christ, we'll express it and we'll desire to do it. Thankfully, I'd say that, that our church already has a pretty great and loving community like this, and I'm incredibly thankful for it as the, as the pastor of it. Makes things a lot easier. But, so first of all, while this message should challenge and, and, and convict us in, in many areas of our lives, at the same time, let this message be an encouragement to us as the body of Christ. First John four sixteen to 17 says, God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. And this is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God in this world. And so I'll say it again, that I thank God daily for all of you, for this church, that, that we at, and, and, and And in saying that, I think we at the gate can be confident that Christ's love remains in us and that it's being perfected in us because of the way that we do show his love and advance his kingdom and how we serve and support one another and how we give generously to one another and how we meet together often and how we seek to grow in the word together and worship together with genuine hearts and build one another up in the faith and advance the gospel in our communities. It's obvious that the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in many of us. And so my prayer is that we would continue then to mature in exemplifying it and that we'd become even more effective in it as we grow together in our knowledge and relationship with God. Because that's really the idea. As John Stott writes, only divine power can generate divine love. So in order to grow in loving one another, we need God. If, if we're not currently loving one another, the answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to go to God and allow him to change us and strengthen us to do it. We need to continue to grow in spirit and in truth, which is why we spent the first half of the summer learning and reminding ourselves all about God's love so that we could transition into understanding how we're meant to respond to it. His love is what satisfies and transforms us. On that end, though, let's remember as well that there's another even bigger purpose behind our call to love one another and love our neighbors. As Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it like this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're called to be ambassadors of Christ, to represent his kingdom on this earth, to be the image of Christ's love in this world. And if you, if you look at our, our church's purpose statement uh, it was on the wall back. Yeah, it's on the wall back there. It's on our website. You'll find that, that right at the top of it, it says that our passion statement is this. Our passion is this, to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. It's so simple, but it's, but it's powerful. This, this is why we exist as a church, to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. We call it our passion because it's not just a commandment we want to fulfill. It's, it is our passion. 
His love compels us. We've encountered the living God through the grace of Jesus Christ, and we want the world to know how awesome he is. We want the world to know the good news of salvation. We want the world to see the light of Christ shining in and out from this place, from each of you. And the way we do that is through love. Because Jesus says that the world would know him and that we are his by our love. Precisely because the love we portray is his love in us. And to that end, we've already learned so far, again, that his love is faithful, it's relentless, and it's intentional in coming to us. In other words, God, God didn't wait to love us only when we were ready for it or when we asked for it. No, he came to us, he pursued us, even though in our sin we actually thought we didn't need it and we were far from deserving it. And so this is how we're called to love others as well, to go, to pursue others, to love the lost and the broken and our neighbors and to love even our enemies, even if they don't, don't ask for it or even if we think they don't technically deserve it. Because this is how God loved us. And we're going to unpack what all this practically looks like in the weeks ahead. But for today, I just want to highlight the fact that as followers of Jesus, with hearts that, that have been transformed by his unrelenting love, again, we're meant to now intentionally go out into the world and into our churches to find and create opportunities to serve, to build up, to proclaim the gospel, and make disciples in his name. Ask yourselves, how can you do this in the place where God has you, with the gifts that he's given you? How can you do this? Or how are you already doing this? And how can you grow in it and expand in it? On, that, on this note, I mean, this is one of the primary reasons we've hired Pastor Brad in his new position as pastor of youth and outreach. Right? Part of his role will be to challenge us and, and to create opportunities for us to go out and love our community and, and to spread the gospel through outreach and missions. And so as we step into that more than ever before, I'm excited to see where God will be taking us over the next couple of years. Though let's be honest, one of the greatest hurdles for us in going out and, and serving and, and spreading the gospel and loving others is what? It's our fear, right? Our fear. Fear of what people will think. Fear that we'll fail or that we won't be effective, Fear that we're not ready. I haven't memorized enough verses yet. Right? Fear of being uncomfortable or fear of violent, verbal, or hurtful opposition. The, the list goes on. But 1 John 4, 18-19 reminds us as well that there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear. 
If we're going out and loving people and and we're not immediately seeing the fruits of it, God is not going to be disappointed in us. He's not going to punish us. Right? Perfect love drives out fear. And, And if God is for us, who can be against us? Just knowing that the the God of the universe is for us and that he'll never leave us, knowing that Jesus has already won the victory and already made a way for us, knowing that through him we're equipped with his spirit and his word and his strength to accomplish this calling should give us the confidence to go out boldly. And more than that, if God has truly given us his spirit, and has placed in us a desire to love others and count them as more significant than ourselves, like Christ did for us, then as Joel Beak and Nick Thompson write, a love for the lost and zeal to see the kingdom of Christ advance will enable us to endure the greatest opposition. A love for the lost and zeal to see the kingdom of Christ advance will enable us to endure the greatest opposition. We would do anything and go anywhere and endure anything for those we love. And we are called to love one another and love our neighbors. So bottom line, if we know his love, the greatest love there is, it should and will compel us to love others in his name and for his glory. So dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of compassion, a God of justice, a God of love. And that even in our sin, you didn't give up on loving us. But you sent your one and only begotten son to reveal that love to us at the cross. Through his death and resurrection. And Lord, so as we come before you this morning, Lord, we humbly and thankfully glorify your name for the love with which you've poured out upon us. And Lord, I pray that that love would transform us. I pray that your spirit within us would, would sanctify us and transform us to desire to love you with everything we are and to love others as we love ourselves. Lord, help us to know what that truly means. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to fulfill this commandment that you've given us and that as we love one another, as we love our neighbors, that the world would know that we are your disciples and that you are God. That they would come to you that they would also be able to find salvation in you as they see a tangible expression of your love in this earth. Lord, empower us, enable us to go. 
And Lord, I pray for, for anyone here this morning who, who isn't feeling loved. Lord, that, they would, that, that you would open their hearts to receive the grace that you offer them, that they would know your love and your forgiveness. And Lord, that you would open our eyes to see those within our congregation that need to know that love and that we would go to them, that we would pursue them and that we would serve them and lift them up, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would be a community of love and that it would just overflow out of this place for your glory and for your name. We pray this in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen.